We hope you joined us in our time of worship this morning, and now we want to spend a little time in God's Word. So I would like to invite you to open your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 7, the Old Testament prophet Isaiah chapter 7. We're going to suspend our Sunday morning uh, series in the Gospel of Luke for four weeks, and we're going to speak to the needs of what's going on in our nation, in our world, and in our own individual lives for the next four weeks out of the prophet Isaiah. In Isaiah chapter 7, we're going to see that there's a national crisis, we're going to see that there's personal unbelief, and we're going to see that there is a profound prophecy that God gives to his people. And in the midst of all this as well, this crisis teaches us three things. This crisis that's happening to the nation of Israel in Isaiah chapter 7 teaches us about the inevitability of adversity and hardship in our lives. It also teaches us about the availability of God to us. And then finally, we're going to see this morning, it teaches us about the absolute necessity of faith in dealing with everything in life, but especially crisis. I'd like you to look at the first two verses of Isaiah chapter 7. This sort of gives us the, the historical background, if you will, and the, the main players involved, except for Isaiah, who will be introduced to us in verse 3. It says, During the reign of Ahaz, son of Jotham, son of Uzziah, king of Judah, King Rezin of Syria and King Pekah, son of Remaliah of Israel, marched up to Jerusalem to do battle. That, we see, is the crisis. King Ahaz is the king of the southern kingdom of Judah. And now there are two foreign kings that are marching up to Jerusalem and to the southern kingdom to, to conquer it, to destroy it, to take these people into exile and, and a crisis is coming to the borders of Judah and of Jerusalem. Now, at the end of verse 1, we are given sort of information that takes us all the way to the end of the crisis and tells, it, tells us how it ends. God says they were not able to prevail against it. But there's a lot happening in between the beginning of verse 1 and the end of verse 1, and that's really the crux of what we want to talk about this morning. And that is that there were these two armies advancing towards Jerusalem, and these folks within the walls of Jerusalem and even with the, the nation of Judah were wondering what the future held. Were they going to survive? Were they going to make it? And remember, folks, these were the people of God. In fact, it says to us in verse 2, it was reported to the family of David because that's who these people were. They were the ancestors of King David himself and they were going to be the forefathers if you will of Jesus Christ Jesus was going to come in the line of these people so we're not talking here about the people that did not know God had no understanding of God we're talking about the people of God here today and it says it was reported to the family of David that because Syria has allied with Ephraim they and their people meaning the people of Judah the people of God King Ahaz all the way from, from the top all the way down to the, the, the person who was least, if you will, in Judah, were emotionally shaken, the Bible says, just as the trees of the forest shake before the wind. This is descriptive of a, a people 
who were gripped by overwhelming fear and panic at what was approaching them. And that again reminds us that when times of crisis come, and certainly there's going to be bigger crises than other uh, in, in our lives, some are much deeper and more intense and mo more profound and, and last longer, but whatever the crisis is, it reminds us that in life, there's always going to be the inevitability of hardship and adversity. It's not if these times come, it's when they come. In fact, James says that. He tells us as believers in Jesus Christ to consider it actually all joy when we fall into various trials because it's a time where our faith in the Lord can be strengthened and where we can build up our spiritual perseverance and endurance. And one of the things that the Bible reminds us is that we don't always know when these times come. That's why the Bible says when we fall into various trials. Sometimes we see things coming and sometimes we don't. So the Bible teaches us we should always be prepared. We should always be in a spiritually healthy place so that whenever these times come, we are ready for it. We can, we can through the spiritual health and wholeness that we possess, we can rise above the circumstances of our life. We, we not only can get through it, but we can actually then help others to get through it. We can lift them up as we have been lifted up. We can provide the comfort to them that God has already given to us through the trials of life that we have faced. So there is that. Then any time a crisis comes into our life, it reminds us of the inevitability of hardship and adversity. And again, I want us to see in verse 2 the response of these people as even the, the enemy wasn't there yet. The soldiers, they couldn't even see yet, but they heard that it was coming and they were shaking like the trees of, of the forest before the wind. So beginning in verse 3, we transition from crisis teaching us about the inevitability of adversity to crisis also teaching us about the availability of God. God makes himself available to us, always, at all times, in all situations, but especially in times of trial, in times of crisis, in times of adversity, and challenge, and trouble, God is making himself available, and he did that to the people in Ahaz's day and in Isaiah's day. In fact, he does so, first of all, by sending his prophet Isaiah to the king with a message from him. He sent his prophet. He sent a spokesman to the people of God to remind them of their God, of his character, of his word, and all of that. And so I say that to remind all of us that we need to make sure that we are listening not to every voice around us, but that we are making sure during times, especially like this, that we are listening to God's voice above all voices and that we are opening ourselves up to those that we truly believe are the spokesmen for God, the spokeswomen for God, those men and women of God that he has said, I want you to give a message to my people. That's the position Isaiah had at this time. So the Lord told Isaiah, I want you to go out and I want you to take your young son, Shershad, Jashub, 
And I want you to meet King Ahaz at the end of the conduit of the upper pool, which is located on the road to the field where they wash and dry cloth. A couple things from verse 3. Why does God tell Isaiah to take his young son? Because Isaiah's young son's name literally means a remnant will return. It was sort of giving even this King Ahaz an idea that even if the worst happens and one day your enemy takes you and your people into exile, there will always be a remnant of believing people. There will always be, though, you will not be wiped out. There will always be a remnant that should give you hope. And, and why was King Ahaz up by these pools of water, inspecting, if you will, the water system that was going into Jerusalem? Because in his mind, he was thinking, well, one of the ways our enemies could attack us is by either cutting off our water supply or contaminating it. So he's sort of trying to assess the situation. He's at this point leaning on his own wit and wisdom and understanding. He has not sought the Lord yet in all of this. He's not prayed about any of this. This is how he's trying to figure out how maybe he can either, you know, beat the enemy, stave off the attack of the enemy, you know, try to get around what's coming. And so Ahaz is met by the prophet Isaiah here at the upper pool. And notice the message. Literally, it's a command from God himself to the king of Judah that Isaiah is to deliver to this king and to really all the people of Judah. And it's something that you and I should keep in mind today as well with what we're going through. God tells him, tell him, make sure you stay calm. It means don't be filled with panic. Don't be freaking out as we use that modern phrase today. Stay composed. Stay calm. Literally stay still. Stay quiet. Don't be all stirred up and agitated. This is a message from God, not to those that don't know him. This is a message from God to his people saying, stay calm. And then secondly, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. And then don't be intimidated. The Hebrew here means don't be faint-hearted. Literally, be strong and courageous, you see. This is a message that we find throughout the Bible. From the Old Testament all the way through the New Testament, God is always telling his people, don't be afraid, but be strong and courageous and stay calm. What a great message for us today because God goes on to say that these two stubs these two other kings, the king of Syria and the king of Israel, they're just smoking logs from God's perspective. In other words, God pictures them as sort of, of, of logs that are getting ready actually to burn out, not to, not to consume anything else. He says, don't be intimidated by the raging anger of Rezin or the son of Remaliah. Even though Syria has plotted with Ephraim and the son of Remaliah to bring down your demise, 
Don't be intimidated. Stay calm. Don't be afraid. Be strong and courageous. They say, God's saying what they're saying, let's attack Judah, let's terrorize it and conquer it. That was their strategy. First of all, before they even conquered it, their strategy, their philosophy was, let's terrorize it. It literally means to make one cower. And here's an important point for all of us. What we begin to cower under or cower over will eventually conquer us. That's why God tells his people, don't be afraid. Don't live in fear. Stay calm and composed and be strong in heart because whatever we begin to cower under, whatever we begin to cower over will eventually conquer our lives and we will become consumed by it and it will control us rather than God controlling us. In fact, God has a specific promise through his prophet Isaiah to this King Ahaz of Judah. In verse 7, he says, For this reason, the sovereign master, the Lord, says, It will not take place. It will not happen. God is basically promising Ahaz, you and the people of Judah, at least for this time, you're going to be all right. Not because it looks like it's okay. I mean, if you looked at the situation, if you were judging everything again through the sight of our eyes, it would look pretty bleak. And that's why the Bible teaches us, do not walk by sight, but walk by faith. Because everything that King Ahaz and the people of Judah saw was that they were in deep trouble and on the brink of of devastation and, and destruction because these two armies were coming at them. And yet the word of God through his prophet to them was, it's going to be okay. And you and I have a choice throughout our lives, no matter whether we're going through great adversity or even the things we have to deal with every day that are much smaller. We can either listen to other voices or we can try to judge how things are going to be based upon what we hear and what we see or we can be tuned in to to God and to his voice and to the promptings that he's giving us and we can live that way. We have a choice. God's people have a choice today just as they did in Ahaz's day. We can choose fear or we can choose faith. And we're going to talk about that in just a moment. Then in verse 8 and 9, God is basically going to give King Ahaz through the prophet Isaiah a brief description, if you will, of why this plan of theirs is not going to work or how he's going to bring it to an end. And we're going to come back to the end of verse 9 in a few minutes, but I want to keep going in verse 10. So the Lord again spoke to Ahaz through Isaiah Ask for a confirming sign from the Lord your God. God even says to this king, King Ahaz, the king of his people, you can even ask for a miracle. You can ask for me to do something supernatural. Wow. And here's why we know that King Ahaz really didn't believe and have faith in the promise from God that he was just given through Isaiah. Here's how we know that. 
because Isaiah, Ahaz sort of feigns this sort of, you know, false humility and, and whatever, like, oh, I don't want to bother God for a sign. I'm paraphrasing verse 12, but Ahaz responds to Isaiah, well, I don't want to ask. I, I don't want to put the Lord to a test. The problem is, it wasn't the Lord that was being tested here. Guess who was being tested? Ahaz was being tested. God was putting King Ahaz to the test. Why do I say that? Because by giving him this promise, and then God saying, let me give you a confirmation, let me give you an assurance, once you begin to put your faith in me, that was a test of whether Ahaz even had any faith in there to be able to ask for a sign or not. You see, the Bible teaches us in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 7, that trials, times of adversity, hardship, crises in our life, they show the character of our faith. You see, they show what's really there by the way we respond, by the way we react, you see. Evidence, like God wanted to give to Ahaz here, doesn't create faith, it only confirms the faith that's already there. And Ahaz is like, no, I, I don't want to ask for a sign. I, I don't want to put God out. I don't want to put him to the test. Well, see, if he really had faith, he would have said, God, I want you to do a miracle that I can see just to just to confirm, just to assure, but he didn't ask for that. So Isaiah replies in verse 13 to the king, pay attention, family of David. Notice Isaiah isn't just talking to the king here. He's talking to all the people of God, the inhabitants of Judah. He says, do you consider it too insignificant to try the patience of men? Is that why you are also trying the patience of my God? For this reason, the sovereign master himself will give you a confirming sign. Look, this young woman is about to conceive and will give birth to a son. You young woman will name him Emmanuel. Now remember at the beginning, I said that crisis not only teaches us about the inevitability of hardship and adversity, it also teaches us about the availability of God. And throughout this passage, more than anything else, that's what you're seeing here. God, through the prophet Isaiah, being sent to King Ahaz and to the people of Judah, he's making himself available. He's offering the people of God a spokesman that can speak to them and, and, and bring strength and comfort and encouragement to their hearts. He's offering them a promise a promise that they will be okay if they simply trust him. And now, from this profound prophecy that Isaiah gives to the king and to the people of God, he's offer, also offering them his presence and his power. Let's talk about his presence. Because God says, the name of this child is going to be called Emmanuel, which literally means God is with us. I believe that there was a young woman in King Ahaz's day that was pregnant and that bore a son and they named him Emmanuel. And it was a sign for the people of that day. But we also know that Isaiah 7:14 is more readily known and applied to the birth of our Messiah, our Savior Jesus Christ. That God, even through that, had a further fulfillment of this prophecy, this profound prophecy. In that 
He wanted to remind the people in Ahaz's day as well as the people of our day that God is with us. His presence is with us and he's making himself available to us. And I want to remind all of of us that today. God is with you today. He hasn't left you. He hasn't abandoned you. He hasn't forgotten about us in all of this. He's with us every moment of the day and he wants us to draw upon his presence in our life as well as the promises that he's given us in his word and through his spirit and to be able to live off of those and rise above the circumstances, you see. But God also wants to remind us it's also going to be through his power, his power. And if his power can bring about the birth of a child by a virgin, if, if he can do that, then again, is there anything too difficult or too hard for the Lord? And, and if his power can create the universe that we live in, if his power can sustain the universe that we live in, if his power can do things like miracles of raising the dead and even raising himself from the dead as Jesus did to show that he was the son of God and even bring about the birth of a child by a virgin, then what can his power not do? And so God is saying to his people, are we going to live you know, in our own power and strength which has much limitations to it or try to live off the power and strength of others? Are we going to tap into the supernatural, unending, infinite power of God and be able to get through whatever life trials we face. This is how God was making himself available to the people back then, and this is the same God that is making himself available to the people of God today and to anyone who wants God to be a part of their life. He's saying, I've given you promises. I've given you my presence. I've given you my power. That's how I want you to live. I haven't cut myself off from you. I'm as available to you now as I've ever been. I also want to bring you back to this phrase, both in verse 14, God is called the sovereign master. He was called that as he made the promise that Isaiah gave back in verse 7. Why do I want to bring us back to that in a minute before we get to this whole importance about talking about faith? Because as Christians even, I think we have to be reminded, do we really believe that God is sovereign? That he is the sovereign master of this universe? And and that specifically, I'm going to talk about this at this particular stage of where we're at even in this crisis. Do we not still believe that our God holds the keys of life and death? Or somehow do we believe that we have taken those keys of life and death away from God? And I guess I would just ask for any of you that believe that, that you now have control or someone else has control over life or death other than God. How did you get those keys away from him? God alone has the key of life and death. And if we truly believe that God is the sovereign master of the universe and we are placing our trust and our faith in him, then I think our whole attitude, 
Our whole perspective can change no matter what the circumstance, no matter what the crisis. In fact, back in verse 4, when God sends Isaiah to King Ahaz, it's basically to command an attitude adjustment to the king. The king is not in a good place, and God knows it. And God says, go to the king and tell him, remain calm. Don't be afraid and don't be intimidated. Obviously, that meant he was all three. He was intimidated, he was afraid, and he was not remaining calm. Which brings me to this final and to me maybe the most important point of Isaiah chapter 7. And that is that this chapter not only teaches us that crisis teaches us the inevitability of adversity and hardship, it not only teaches us about the availability of God, it teaches us about the absolute necessity of faith. Let me go back and pick it up in verse 7 where God through the prophet Isaiah is giving the king a promise that everything's going to be okay even though it looks like everything's not going to be okay. For this reason, the sovereign master, the Lord says, it will not take place, it will not happen. For Syria's leader is Damascus and the leader of Damascus is Rezin. Within 65 years, Ephraim will no longer even exist as a nation. Ephraim's leader is Samaria, and Samaria's leader is the son of Remaliah. And then don't miss this last very important phrase of verse 9. God says through his prophet to the king of Judah, if your faith does not remain firm, then you will not remain secure. God is saying to the king of his people and to all of his people, because notice in verse 9, it's plural. This, this isn't just addressed to Ahaz. This is addressed to all the people of God, all the people of Judah. He's saying, if your faith does not remain firm, then you will not remain secure. God is basically saying to his people, if there is no belief in me, then there will be no relief for you. Let me repeat that. If there is no belief in me, God, then there will be no relief for you. What's God saying? He's reminding us, even as his people, there is no surety, there is no security, there is no stability, there is no settledness in our life apart from God and faith in him. You can't have it. No, no matter what, there are no guarantees, period, apart from the security, the settledness, the stability, and the surety that only a human being can have in God. Let me use this crisis happening right now as an example of that. There will come a point where we will get through this and where we will be told that things can go back to normal, whatever that new normal will be. But there will never be a time where anyone will able, be able to honestly look any of us in the eye and say, but there's a guarantee that you'll never catch anything, you'll never give anything, you'll never carry anything, because no one can make that kind of guarantee. And the reason I want to say that today, even especially to the people of God, is if you allow fear to settle in right now in your life over this, fear even after this is maybe seemingly past, 
Fear will take on a life of its own in your life. And you will begin to to live your life not by faith, but by fear. Because as you begin to think about it, as you go out of your house, you'll never be able to have the guarantee that, that you know for sure that you're not going to get something from somebody or you're not going to give something to somebody that something can't happen because there is no guarantee, humanly speaking, that anybody can ever give. So that's why our primary security and stability and settledness and surety has got to come from the Lord. And that's exactly what God's saying here to his people. If there is no faith, if your faith does not remain firm and secured in me, then you won't be secure, ever. Because I'm the only one that can truly make you secure and stable and settled. I'm the sovereign master. No one else is. That's why the Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, without faith, it's impossible to please God. You and I can't please God if we're living apart from fully resting and relying on him and we're somehow trusting in other things. That's why Paul told the Romans in Romans 14, 23, whatever is not of faith is sin. Think about that, my friends. That, that means that if I'm making a choice or decision in my life that is not being prompted or birthed in me by God, but I'm basing it on something or anything else other than God, and I'm going ahead with it, I'm not convinced that what I'm about to do, what I'm about to choose, the decision I make, does not have God's approval, then the Bible says, that's sin. Why? Because that means I'm living disconnected from God. And that's really, in essence, what sin is. It's, I got this, God, based upon everything that I'm seeing, everything that I'm hearing, God. I, I don't need to come to you and primarily get my my marching orders and how I'm to live my life. I'm figuring this out on my own. That's where Ahaz was. That's where the people of God were in Isaiah's day. And that's why God had to send Isaiah to them and said, wake up. You don't need to live in fear. Choose faith over fear. Because whatever is not of faith is sin. I think one of the saddest, most sobering verses in all the Bible is in Luke chapter 18, I believe it's in verse 6, where Jesus is teaching his followers on prayer. And at the end of that teaching on prayer, he says, when the Son of Man comes back to earth, will he even find faith on the earth? And the suggestion of Jesus' question is that his own people will not be characterized by faith when he returns. It doesn't mean there won't be a remnant just like in Isaiah's day, of those who just are going to trust God and get their, their prompting from him instead of everything around them, which also means sometimes that there's going to be tension because it means we're not always going to follow what the world and everyone around us says we should do. But faith is living by the prompting of God, not by the pressure from the world. 
That's why Paul told the Romans, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. We have a choice, friends, as the people of God. We can choose fear. We can choose despair. We can choose hopelessness. Or we can choose to trust the Lord. I'd like you to look at a couple other verses with me this morning before we wrap this up. Isaiah chapter 28, verse 16. Isaiah chapter 28 and verse 16. Isaiah had a lot to say about trusting the Lord and our faith. And notice what he says here in verse 16 of chapter 28. Therefore, this is what the sovereign master, the Lord, says. Look, I'm laying a stone in Zion, an approved stone, set in place as a precious cornerstone for the foundation. And notice the very last phrase. The one who maintains his faith will not panic. The one who maintains his faith will not panic. And then chapter 30 and verse 15 the prophet says, this is what the master, the Lord, the Holy One of Israel says. If you repented and patiently waited for me, you would be delivered. If you calmly trusted in me, you would find strength. But you are unwilling. Notice something. God says that trusting in him actually renews our strength. That's why later on in that very famous passage of Isaiah 40, the prophet says, those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. It, it's another way of saying we trust the Lord. We put all of our weight upon him. We are fully relying and resting upon him because when we don't, our strength is sapped out of us. We become weak rather than strong, which makes it even harder to handle the trials and adversities and hardships and crises that we face because we don't have the, the spiritual inner strength to be able to, to rise to the occasion and to handle it. That's why the prophet Isaiah and his message to God's people is still relevant for us today. Because Isaiah is saying to us from God, Yes, you will go through crisis and adversity and hardship. It's inevitable. It's part of life on earth. The question isn't if we fall into various trials, as James says, it's when. And when we do, do we also know that it reminds us of the availability of our God? God is making himself available to all of us, to each of us, individually and collectively right now. He's sending those to speak into our lives that we might get our focus back on Him. He's given us His promises. He's given us His presence. He's given us His power. He says, I've given you everything you need to get through this. So, it also reminds us that these times teach us the absolute necessity of faith. God says to his people, if you have faith and maintain your faith in me, if you trust me, you'll remain secure. 
There is no surety. There is no stability. There is no settledness or security apart from the Lord. Let us choose faith rather than fear. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not unto your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will direct your path. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. And we pray as we get ready, Lord, to, to worship you again and to look to you in worship, to remind ourselves of who you are. You are the sovereign master of the universe. And you alone, Lord, give us our settledness, our stability, our security, our surety. Nothing else or no one else can ever guarantee that. Either we're going to choose to put it all on you or we're going to trust in everything or everyone else around us, including ourselves. God, I pray today that as the people of God, we have heard you, we have seen you, and we will choose you, God, over anything and everything else around us. These things I pray in Jesus' name, amen.